Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about victim culpability. But before we jump into that topic, I'd love to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are enjoying all that you're learning on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It's our online membership community. We have a vibrant community of people helpers learning how to address the issue of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion of common pushback, common objections. They're usually in the form of questions sent to us by helpers who are interacting with pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, uh, other counselors who are challenging our approach, which is fine. But I do think these questions and objectives are worth discussing. And uh, so in previous weeks, we've talked a little bit about believing the victim. Uh, We've talked uh, a little bit uh, about the subjectivity of abuse and how to create kind of objective frameworks in a subjective environment. And today we're going to challenge this objection um, of culpability. And what I mean by that is usually the pushback that, you know, Chris, we, we hear what you're saying and abuse is definitely serious. All right. But the victim is not sinless. So it's not fair to say that the abuse is never the victim's fault. And that's a very difficult one to begin with. Like it's a difficult discussion to have because I, I think within the challenge, I think I hear the heart. I do. I think I hear the heart that we want to, we don't want to elevate victims and survivors to sinless martyrdom. And, and I, I would agree with that. Victims, survivors, they have enough sin to go around. And all the victims and survivors that listen to the podcast said, Amen. There is definitely, um, within any relationship, enough sin to go around, to be held accountable for, to take responsibility for. So in that regard, I, I would not challenge that notion. I would say, of course, victims have sin. The, the problem for me, the issue in which I struggle, is the seeming necessity or desire to make their individual sin part of or part and parcel with the abuse itself. Chris, you would say the abuse is never the victim's fault. And I think unequivocally I could say, yes, the abuse is never the victim's fault. If you are a victim today of of childhood sexual assault, I hope you take comfort in these words. It was not your fault. There was nothing that you did to invite childhood sexual assault, nor is there anything that you did to warrant childhood sexual assault or participate in the sin of childhood sexual assault. You were assaulted. 
Does that mean that in that moment in time you were sinless? Of course not. We all fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all stumble in many ways. To say that we're out sin is to call God a liar. This is truth. We all, I believe, as Christians agree with this. But my statement to you is, your sin does not create abuse. Your sin does not cause someone to assault you. Their sin caused them to assault you. If you are listening and you're a victim of intimate partner violence, your partner has strangled you, sexually coerced you, restrained you, hit you, harmed you, isolated you, manipulated you through fear and coercion and threat, I'm sure that if we were to sit and talk, we would find plenty of things of which you are guilty. His abuse is not one of them. And, and I, I know I'm, I'm more than likely coming off snarky and coming off hot, and I do apologize. However, I think this idea of we in the domestic abuse work presenting victims as sinless, I think is untrue. Um, however, I will go to bat for this reality. I do not hold victims culpable for their abuser's sin. I hold the abuser 100% responsible for their abuse. The number one cause of rape is rapist, hands down. Not alcohol, not poor choices, not immodesty. Rapists. The number one cause of domestic abuse is men who choose to abuse their partner. Not nagging, not disrespect, not a lack of submission. It is a choice that occurs in the heart of an individual who chooses to violate another individual. Whether there is sin present in the victim or not does not relinquish or trivialize or in any way remove the need for responsibility and ownership of the abuser. And so I say that to say this. I think that is the issue with those of us in the work. This is where we are getting at odds with each other. So brothers, sisters who are, who are confused on this point or perhaps are in opposition to this point, uh, I don't want to just agree to disagree. I want us to dialogue well, and I want you to hear me say, I understand that victims are sinful. I understand that everyone is sinful, that survivors have their own um, sinful issues. But I also hope that you can understand our point of view, that there is no sin by which that, so far as we have seen, that warrants sexual assault, domestic abuse, child abuse, or neglect. And to demand, as it were, and I, I think this is often where the rub is, to demand that in the context of a perpetrator's abuse, we also acknowledge the sin of a victim as culpable is to diminish the sin of abuse, is to relinquish the means of accountability that we have at our disposal to confront the abusive heart. Because if she is culpable in some way, then this is a problem of mutuality and reciprocity 
and partnership, not of power over. And I would suggest if mutuality is present, then we're not dealing with abuse. Because abuse doesn't have mutuality. It's one person using power to control. Now, second to that point. So, Chris, you're saying abuse is never the victim's fault. I am saying abuse is never the victim's fault. She will never be held responsible for the abusive act of her perpetrator. However, that does not mean that victims are sinless or survivors are sinless. And again, all the victims and survivors say amen. We know this. Victims are responsible for how they respond to abuse. I think this is something that good advocates and gifted and skilled counselors who've been working with this population do very well. You'll hear my friend Joy Forrest talk about this. You'll hear my friend Sidney Millage talk about this. You'll hear my friend Darby Strickland talk about this. And you'll hear my friend Leslie Vernick talk about this. And some of you will note that those are four very different names from very different spectrums of the biblical counseling movement. And yet they are all in agreement to the extent in which a victim is responsible for how they respond to abuse. Some may call it acts of righteousness. Some, like my friend Leslie, may call it core strength. But nonetheless, there is a necessity for Christians to respond well. I often use um, a little book by my, my friend Steve Vyers, Putting Your Past in Its Place, where in the book he talks about responding poorly and responding well to either your guilty past or your innocent past. The ways in which you violated others, did you respond poorly or did you respond well? The ways in which you were violated by others, did you respond poorly or did you respond well? So all of us in the work are, are seemingly in agreement, at least, and I'm as intimately involved with the network of people in this work as anyone from a Christian perspective, and I can say that the vast majority of us are in agreement that victims are responsible for how they respond. They need a very deliberate and intentional uh, form of care. Uh, Victims need to be provided for biblically and scripturally when it comes to healing and comfort and restoration. But we are not saying that women are always right and men are always wrong. We are saying that abusers are always to be held accountable for their abuse and victims are not. That doesn't mean that uh, victims escape all accountability. In fact, when victims do um, attempt to escape all accountability, um, we grieve for them, especially those who develop a platform, if I could be quite frank, because they continue to perpetuate um, poor theology, poor poor pragmatism, poor responses because they haven't properly dealt with their own pain and suffering. They haven't gone to the cross in many ways. And so, again, Chris, are you saying that abuse is never the victim's fault? I am. Are you saying that victims never sin? I'm not. Victims sin. All of us sin. Third to the point, you know, victims may have other issues and may have other sins that are dramatic, but unrelated to their abuse. In the work that I've done 
criminally and civilly over the years. It's not uncommon to be working with a victim who's also just been ravaged by substance abuse. A victim who has found themselves maybe carrying the, the suffering of, of a disease, like, like hepatitis, for instance, associated with their drug abuse, associated with um, financial irresponsibility, with child neglect and abandonment, and other things that they need accountability for, ownership for, care and comfort in, compassion for, confrontation of. However, none of those things warrant abuse. No poor behavior, bad behavior, or sinful behavior makes abuse a mutual problem. That's all we're getting at. Abuse will never be justified. And we would agree that victims are sinful just like everyone else is sinful, but that their sin does not cause, create um, abuse. And that's okay. And so, is it ever the victim's fault? No. That doesn't mean the victim's perfect. It just means we are putting and assigning guilt to the guilty in this particular case. Not guilt for everything that the victims experience, but when it comes to the abuse, absolutely. This is one of those that I'm not sure how we're going to build a bridge. Um, and you can probably tell, listener, that I get a little passionate about this one. I don't know where the bridge building is going to come from. I, I don't know what will be satisfactory. I have a tremendous fear that, just with all my work with perpetrators, that a, a perpetrator's desire is mutuality that a perpetrator will willingly own aspects of abuse if we will also credit their partner with aspects of abuse. It, it assuages their conscience and it removes responsibility so that it can be shared. And when we share responsibility for abuse, we actually undermine the work of abuse confrontation. We can't properly get to the heart of abuse if we're co-blaming a victim along with their perpetrator. We can't possibly, accurately, or effectively handle, address, or call for repentance if we're asking a victim to repent of someone else's behavior. If we're asking them to make things right so that the perpetrator can make things right. What I mean by that is I've seen many times where if the, we want the victim to apologize and to repent of the triggers, the temptations that the perpetrator cites that led him to his acts of violence. And in doing so, we're saying you don't have control over your acts of violence. You're not responsible for your acts of violence. You're simply a collection of chemicals and responses you're simply a victim of your own power, of your own authority. No, you are the man. You made a choice. We want to hold you accountable to that choice. Sure, your partner has made choices. And we'll deal with those when it's appropriate. 
but not in the context of your work. Your work is your work. As one of my dear friends says, hard work is heart work. And if you want to do the hard work of repentance and transformation, you have to do the heart work of ownership and accountability. I know that was passionate. I know that was a bit hot. My prayer is that it was helpful, that it helps us process some of these objections that we do understand. Those of us in the work, we do understand the fear of of not holding victims accountable to their own sin. But we also see the damage and the destruction of making them culpable for their abuser's sin. My hope and prayer is that we will do much better as counselors, churches, pastors, and leaders in holding the abusive accountable and caring and comfort those who have been harmed. Thank you again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. If you would do us a favor, would you rate, review, and subscribe? Uh, Whatever means um, your platform measures growth and change. Uh, I should say growth and uh, numbers. I've got change on the brain. We'd appreciate if you would let them know that you value the podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at chrismoles.org. God bless.